Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to a very special crossover episode of the Mosaic Life Podcast. As you hear each week at the top of the episode, I'm fortunate enough to be a part of the Believe Podcast Network. And my guest today, or rather my co-guest, my co-host, anyway, he also hosts his own podcast on the network called The Hardwick Life. Nick Hardwick is a former NFL Pro Bowl center for the San Diego Chargers. He started in 146 games, earned distinction as one of the 50 greatest Chargers of all time as a member of the 50th anniversary team, won the Ed Block Courage Award, and earned Pro Bowl honors for his play on the field. Nick's proudest accomplishment during his career was earning the title of team captain for his last five seasons in the league. Following Nick's illustrious career in football, Nick immediately lost 85 pounds in under five months, showing up at his retirement press conference weighing 208 pounds. This grabbed a lot of national media attention where Nick was falsely accused of being on performance-enhancing drugs during his playing career, because how else could the rapid weight loss be explained? Nick decided to use that as motivation to show others how to lose weight fast, reclaim their health and life. The program he designed for himself to lose weight has become the Lose Like a Lineman program and most recently Lose Like a Lady designed with his health-conscious wife, Jamie's Guidance. Together, they are helping hundreds of people lose weight and stay active every day. They also host a health and wellness-focused podcast called The Hardwick Life. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I'm so thankful for the conversations I get to have and share on this podcast. And I'm incredibly thankful Nick opened up his podcast to create this with me. Without further delay, please welcome Nick Hardwick. Trey, what's going on, brother? How are you? Nick, I am fantastic. How are you today? I am doing super well. Thank you for this. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes. Uh, look at, looking forward to learning about you and learning about your mission and the Mosaic Life podcast and all that you're doing. We are Believe Podcast Network uh, brothers. So here we, we are. are. I'm excited to talk. Now, I've got to warn you ahead of time. Um, you know, like you, I, I, I read up about you a little bit. I, I have to say I'm an Ohio State fan, so I hope that's not a problem. <laughs> that's, that's perfectly okay, because only because we just beat you like two weeks ago. <laughs> in college basketball. And I was there and it was a uh, walk-off Jaden Ivey three-pointer at the buzzer to nice. prevent us from going to overtime. But we had the lead with like 15, 15 points with like six minutes to go or something. And then Ohio State just closed the gap and we thought, oh no, here we go. Because you know, you go yeah. to a school like Purdue yeah, and there's two schools that really in the Big Ten, you want to beat in all the sports and rarely do we get that opportunity. It's Ohio State and Michigan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that, uh, you know, to, to your credit a couple years ago, I think it was two years ago, uh, you definitely had a good win uh, to end, essentially end our uh, football season. I, I remember being at a viewing party, watching that and just thinking, because I have a lot of Ohio State fans in, in my family and, and, and uh, friend network. And so just, there was a lot of rubbing it in. And uh, that, that one stung a little bit because as arrogant as it is to say, Ohio State fans are not generally used to losing. And it kind of hurts when it happens. <laughs> it's, it is funny when you get used to losing at the level or used to winning at the level that Ohio State does or like an Alabama fan does. Yeah. 
you know, you become a little bit jaded to how hard it really is to be that successful year after year and to continue to find the right recruits and to win the games that you're supposed to win. I know. So, I know. so that, that one was the game, uh, 2019. Yeah. And, and by the way, I was only reminded of that at the basketball game because there was a kid in the student section who held up the score from the football <laughs> game two years ago. Hey, like, you, you got to take them where you can get them. These college kids are hilarious, man. I think it's, it is awesome, but I love, I mean, personally, I love Ohio state in the big 10 just for the fact that they bolster us up. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they give us, they give us some real street cred and all the sports and it's uh, it's, it's fun to love to hate them. It is. And, you know, even if you get knocked out of uh, contention for the championship or the playoffs, it, it's you always want to see the Big Ten excel and, you know, go as far as you can, which, you know, it, it obviously sucked losing to Michigan this year. But, you know, you hope, uh, you know, they, they get to move forward and the Big Ten, you know, turns out well in the end. Yeah, exactly right. Trey, tell me about your tell me about you. Give me your yeah. bio. Where'd you come from? How'd you get to where you are? Absolutely. So I, uh, I, as you mentioned, I host the Mosaic Life podcast. I've, I've been doing it, I think, uh, as we were talking about offline for just about as long as you have, just over two years now. Um, the, the, the podcast came about because I had gotten into the habit through some self-work over the last four or five years, really challenging myself to do better um, and starting to question areas of my life that I could pr improve upon or, you know, challenge the preconceived notions that I had. And, you know, a lot of that started with realizing that the things that I wanted to accomplish were not going to happen overnight. It's, I wasn't going to wake up one day and have a successful podcast or have my own business. And so, I, you know, I, I got to starting to realize that okay, actually work needs to go involved to failure, heartache, um, but also celebrating big and small wins. And so I really wanted to tell the story of what it looks like to make your way from nothing to thriving, to success, to, you know, seeing what the other side looks like and having the ability to design your own life in a way that you've always dreamt of. And that that's kind of been the process for the podcast. Uh, you know, started at episode one with a, with a good friend of mine, not knowing what we're doing. Now I'm 132 episodes in, hosting weekly interviews with leaders all over the world, and it's incredible. And so, through that, through my business, I'm a web designer. I just I, I'm so thankful for the things that I've learned through these conversations. Where were you before the podcast started? Obviously, you you mentioned being a web designer, but even before that, you yeah. obviously weren't having the success that you had hoped that you were having. Sure, I you know I was working for somebody else, and you know I will say to their credit, and they were great people, and I it's uh, they they allowed me the freedom and flexibility to kind of wean myself out of the job and and uh, train my uh, my uh, my replacement, and so that I was super thankful for that. Very cool. Um, but you know, where I was personally, I was prioritizing alcohol over, you know, the things I wanted to pursue. I was prioritizing eating poorly over the things, my, my fitness goals. And it wasn't until I, about just over two years ago, actually, right around the time I started the podcast that I decided, you know, alcohol isn't really serving me the way that I, I used to think it was. And so Actually, I decided, of all places, I decided at a wedding, or I'm not going to drink tonight. And so as I stood on the outskirts of the dance floor, I started to think about the things that I actually do want to accomplish. And in that moment, I decided I'm going to take a year off drinking and just, just try to pursue 10 big audacious goals. And, you know, here we are two and a half years later, and I, I'm not looking back because I, I know that, you know, nothing against people who drink. It's just, it's not for me anymore because I, I know all that I can accomplish when I'm not putting that ahead of anything else. 
Yeah. And really same for me. Alcohol does not serve me well. It actually has never served me well. I, I'm never been a big drinker. It's not been my favorite thing, but marijuana, I, we had, yeah. uh, I started probably when I was 13 years old and decompressed with that occasionally. And then probably more than occasionally as I worked even through the NFL yeah, and kind of skirted their testing protocols because we always knew we were going to get tested. Ironically, they called it the IQ test in the NFL. So you, you got tested when I played from 420, which is kind of ironic through like August 8th. So right. you, you would always end in about February, but after the season ended, you'd have about a month and a half of really good burnout time just to decompress, unwind, get depressed, whatever you wanted to go through and then start ramping back up into the work. But same with you is at one point I was like, this is not serving me. I can't tell you how many hours and days and weeks and months even that I wasted sitting on the couch or daydreaming and imagining what life was going to be, but not ever doing the work to get to where I went. And it's crazy to come to hear that from a professional athlete. It's like, I was doing the work required to be a really good professional athlete. And, but once that purpose, you know, once that season of my life ended, then, then where do we go from here? You know, and still seasonally, I would get into those same ruts and still use it in January and February. And it's like, I'm wasting two months of my life every single year. And then in July, after you had have been tested and got through the work, then it was like, okay, then you fire. So like a quarter of every single year you're wasting high on the couch or like just milling around and thinking you're like being purposeful. This is just absolutely ridiculous. So you, you mentioned you decided before you went to a wedding that no, you were going to, at the, at wedding, the wedding, actually, yes. At the wedding, you said no more. I'm not. This isn't happening here. At an open bar, I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm good tonight. Let's just let's just see what it looks like. You know, just stare at the dance floor because I I'm sure I sure as hell wasn't going to go out dancing sober. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it was you know obviously a little bit depressing. You know, not doing anything, but it was just I'm I don't know. I'm a very introspective person, which can be a bit off putting when you know I tell people that I have a podcast. But I, I like kind of you know thinking about my motivation for things. And so as I stood there, just kind of thinking about why I've done anything, I, I realized that whenever I answered that question in relation to alcohol, like I, there was no answer. Like, why was I going out after work three times a week, wasting 40 or $50 every night when I was not a high income earner? Why was I, you know, spending three or four hours at the bar and then going home and passing out? Just, it was, I don't know. I mean, I, I know it's a great, I know it is a way to unwind, but it wasn't sure. a great way for me. And I just, I knew that I could do better. And I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do better. I wanted to accomplish things. And what were the 10 big audacious goals that you set for yourself? Do you remember them? <laughs> I, I remember a few. And, you know, so just for context, this was October of 2019. And so okay. four or five months later, you know, the world stopped. So, you know, right. I, I'll use that as a bit of an excuse to not accomplish them all. But I, I know I wanted to rebuild a mountain bike, which I did. I, you know, I wanted to learn the mechanics of, of, of bikes. I wanted to pay off a bunch of debt, student loans, um, I wanted to, I wanted to go on a silent meditation retreat, which I, you know, unfortunately I have not done yet, but I still would love to do, uh, you know, there were a handful of things in that regard and, and self-improvement. I wanted to monetize my podcast, which I, I did a little bit, and then I kind of shifted my goals. So it was just, you know, taking each area of my life that I'm passionate about and trying to make it 1% better, or even excel it to the next level. Where did you start this 
you know, self-exploration, this whole process of finding a way to get better. Do you, do you remember other than the wedding and saying, Hey, I'm cutting alcohol. I do. Where did, where did you start the self-work? I do. Uh, so at my last quote unquote real job, I had, I had about a 20 minute commute there, 20 minute back. And I, I used to just listen to morning radio and, you know, just waste that 20 minutes and, and mindless, you know, self-indulgence and nothing against them because I used to work in radio and I don't want to insult anybody, but I realized that it was just that it was mindless. There was, it was mind numbing and there was nothing that was beneficial to me. And so coincidentally, it was podcasting that I discovered or rediscovered and Tim Ferriss and, you know, all of those people who are just trying to talk with the most amazing people in the world and trying to break down what it is that, what, how they've accomplished the things they've accomplished. And when I started realizing there are other people actually doing this work and they are making it manageable and bite-sized for people like me, I started to ask myself, should I be doing this? Should I, should I be meditating? Should I be waking up a half an hour earlier so I can listen to motivational tracks on Spotify? And that's exactly what I did. I started waking up earlier, listening to five minute tracks of people just pumping me up and then, and actually trying meditation for the first time and realizing that it's not about just silencing your mind. It's about being introspective. It's about just seeing what comes up and what ideas you can have during that process. And I don't know, it just, it just started to snowball. And again, I really can't stress enough I just started to ask myself, where can I improve my life? What small steps can I do to make my life 1% better? And that's just kind of the, the journey I've been on. How much did you undertake at one time? Small, it's tiny steps. Very, tiny. very small, just a Absolutely. tiny, like start listening to a podcast in the morning or yes. did you start with meditation or? Start, started with podcasts in the morning, then gradually worked into meditation. Um, and then how many days a week were you doing the meditation? Did you, are you a jump all in guy seven days a week? Or did you go, eh, I'll try it here and a little bit there. Or? I, I start, I started as a jump all in guy. And then I, yeah. I, I, then I kind of, you know, things shift priorities shift. And I, I, it just recently dawned on me that it's okay for priorities to shift as long as you're, you're still believing them. Um, but it was all very small steps, you know, in regard to starting my own business, the, the, the lie I'd been telling myself is that, you know, I needed to figure out how to write an amazing business plan to have a freelancer business or a web design business. I needed to know how to do my own taxes to be able to start a business when, you know, those things aren't necessarily true. I hired an accountant who, you know, lo and behold, would do my taxes for me. And so just the small <laughs> little tweaks in motivation and beliefs um, that I was able to make that just that helped out tremendously. Were you just fed up? Was there was there a point where you're like, you're, you're seeing people have success and you're not having, and you're like, what the hell's going on here? Like yeah. what the realization, it, it seems like there had to be some sort of realization that it's like, I could have that, but I'm not doing what's required to have that. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what it was. Um, it might not surprise you. I know we haven't talked about it. I, I do live in Columbus. So hence the Ohio state fan. I love Columbus is a great city, it by is. the way. I was there. I did a, uh, I had to go to a doctor's appointment for the NFL in Columbus. It was actually at Ohio state university, which was the first time outside of playing at the, at the shoe that, sure, yeah. that I got to explore the campus and I got to walk around. I was like, Whoa, now I see why people come here. This is super cool. So if my boys ever decided, Hey, Ohio state's it for me, dad, I'd be nothing but proud. And that's happy awesome. It's a, it's a great town, great restaurants. Yes, it it's is really cool. 
It absolutely is. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I realized it until around that time period. Colum- there's, you know, there's a lot of tech in Columbus. And even though I idolized Silicon Valley and all the startups out there, I, I started to realize that there are people right here, you know, within five miles of me who are, you know, these young millionaire, billionaire founders who are starting these big companies like Cover My Meds, which it's a huge company here in, in central Ohio. And I, I started to realize that, you know, I don't need to idolize people from afar. I don't need to idolize people up close. You know, these are things that I can actually do myself. And so I, I started networking, talking with people who are doing these amazing things and just, again, trying to break apart their small habits and try and instill the ones in my own life that, you know, would serve me well. Yeah, it's interesting to, to think about a lot of times when you look and, and you're not where you want to be or whatever, a lot of times you go, well, circumstantially, this is just not conducive to me being successful in the field that I want to be successful in, but you haven't looked close enough. Right. Right. And it's, it kind of is the thing that when you just value what you have rather than what you don't have, you're going to find a lot of, a lot more happiness than you would going, Oh, well, you know what? It's 20 degrees and snowy here in Indianapolis. I'm sure it is in Columbus too, or at least there's snow on the ground, but Hey, the sun's out it's a great place to live. It's a great place to raise families. You know, it's like, there's so many amazing properties about here. People are super cool that I don't have to go, well, to be in the health and wellness space, Nick, you really need to be in the sunshine 365 days here. You probably should be at the beach and you should, you know, I relocated out of the, one of the meccas of fitness in the world in San Diego, California to come to Indiana to really double down on health and wellness. Like, but you can do it from anywhere. I, yes. I really believe that. Yes, you absolutely can. And you make such an incredible point is, you know, it's, it, I, I know it, it can feel very trite and cliche, but when you understand it, it just makes sense. You, you won't be happy until you want what you have. And I, it's so hard for me to really go into detail about what that means to me. You can of course have goals. You can of course push yourself to do more and do better but until you're content with the things that you have in your life, or you say that this is not serving me and you actively try to rid it of your life, you, and that includes people. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I, I'm sure I've been a toxic friend in my history and I've had toxic friends myself. And you know, those people are no longer in my life anymore for, for a very good reason. Until you can say that I want everything that I have, that contentedness is going to elude you. And that is one of the biggest, hardest lessons that I've had to learn. Yeah, it's a, it's such a concept, right? Where you have to want what you have and almost to be content before you can have more. So I think a lot of people get stuck in this world where they think if I'm content, then I'm complacent. Yes. And and those two aren't necessarily the same thing. It's, I can be content with what I have and still strive to achieve more, not necessarily for me to have more. I don't need to have anything. It's like, And yeah, I want what I have, but I want the life that I have. It's not that I want, not that something is going to add more like joy to my life, or maybe it will temporarily. It's like, Hey, I bought a new iPhone. Wow. That gives me three days of happiness. And then guess what? It's just a phone or I get a new car. And two weeks later, it smells like a gym bag. And well, (laughs) there I have a used car again. And so it's like all these things that you look to buy and we get caught up in it too. I mean, just like everybody else does, you know, you look at the real estate market, you go on the truly app and it's like, Ooh, look where, look where, because we have ultimate flexibility. I mean, I work virtually made enough money in the NFL to 
not have to work again. Really. I love to work. I love, I'm curious. I want to interview people. I want to meet people, you know, all these things, but we've got ultimate flexibility where on a whim we could say, Hey, let's move to Tampa. Or you want to move back to San Diego or you want to go, you know, like, yeah, we could do all these things, but it's almost more powerful to go. We could do all that, but we're choosing to do this. Yes, absolutely. And you know, I, I, I love, I love that you chose to be where you are because I, I've, I've been to San Diego once or twice. It's been a long time, but it, it is, it's a perfect climate. I mean, people, I, I think, you know, they, they move there for that. I being, I, I'm the climate in Columbus, I'm sure, like you said, is similar to uh, Indianapolis. Um, I think p- more people need it here. I think more people need the work that you're doing, that we're doing, you know, in the place where you live. Yeah. You know, being in, being stuck inside in the winter, it can be tough. It can be depressing. I, I just, I think the health and wellness space can thrive in an area where people really, really, truly need it, even if they don't necessarily realize it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I'm from the Midwest, but I think there's so much truth to that. No, but I think, I think you're right about that. And for me, part of being here is really cool. It's showing that, Hey, I can be healthy. I can be active in Indiana. Yeah. Like I don't have to be, I don't have to change my locations just to get healthy. I just have to choose to get healthy where I'm at and start where I am. And then, Hey, if I decide, if I get a six pack and I want to go show it off at Venice beach, by all means go show your six pack off, but I can't do that here. They're not mutually exclusive, the location and the health, the wellness, there's yeah. healthy people that live in all parts of the world. And you don't have to relocate just to do that. Absolutely. I, that, that is such a powerful point. I, I agree completely. And I, you know, I, I would like to kind of swerve a little bit and ask, I mean, cause I, I know you had a, a big transformation yourself and I'm, I'm curious, not knowing the story, you know, what that looked like for you. Yeah, it's so my story really is I was a high school wrestler. I wrestled my senior year at 171 pounds. I cut 48 pounds my senior year to make that weight class. And so I, I kind of understood what I was doing with the body manipulated and it size wise. It took me six months to lose 48 pounds. My teachers thought I was crazy. My parents let me go, even though I looked like I was getting really sick. I fell out of all of my clothes. I mean, I was incredibly gaunt, but on the wrestling mat, I was like pound for pound, really strong. And really I was tall and created a lot of leverage. Then I go to Purdue. I weighed 195 pounds when I show up. And by the time I graduated, after I'd walked onto the Purdue football team in my fourth semester there, after having not played high school football, I had gained a hundred pounds. So by the time I got invited to the NFL combine and weighed in, I was 295 and I showed up as a freshman at 195 pounds. So I had gained a hundred pounds. So I knew even when I was big and I was a rowdy football player and I was strong and I was squatting 620 pounds and benching 450 and doing all the fun things and moving people against their will and fighting for a living and all these things. And like, you know, hurting other people and hurting myself, but having a total blast doing it. I knew that eventually I was going to get that weight off because I remembered being a 171 pounder and being able to climb a 30 foot rope with no feet on it and feeling like Spider-Man and I could run forever and I could last all day. And it was like, man, I felt like a superhero. And then I turned into like the incredible Hulk on the other side of things, but I had no stamina. My, my legs rubbed together. When I walked upstairs, I was sweaty after a small flight, you know, I was like, snoring, breathing poorly. Uh, I could see actually my body over the years. I I go back and look at some of the pictures 
And you could see like a young, robust 23 year old at 295. And then I retire at 33 years old and I'm starting to look like a bell. Like my fat starts storing in different places. My muscle mass is decreasing. So it's this kind of snowball effect in the wrong direction where I stopped producing as much testosterone because I was getting brain damage. I couldn't work out as hard as I did when I was a kid because my joints felt like crap because I had been beating myself up. So my body had kind of started to really spill out. And then I had a coach once gave us some, some great wisdom. And he said, boys, everybody in this locker room, everybody here, you're either going to go one way or another when you retire. You're either going to get big or you're going to get small. And I would suggest you get small. And I just heeded warning to that. And I said, well, I ain't getting big. And so immediately I got put on injured reserve my 11th season. It was actually week one on Monday night football neck issues, which is kind of uh, funny to me as I say that, because my neck is like has, having spasms as we speak. I did a little too much in the weight room. So yeah, I, on occasion, I, I get a wild hair and get dumb. Most of the time I try to stay safe and effective and minimal dose and all those things, but right. got a little crazy. Anyhow, week one, Monday night football got put on injured reserve. It was the last year of my contract. I knew I was done after that year. I wanted to play it out and have a good run, but too many stingers, uh, bone spurs, stenosis in the spine, which means spinal column narrowing. Right. So it bulging disc. It was like, it was a pretty nasty, uh, bird's nest in there of, of mess. And so I decided right away, I'm going to lose weight. So yeah. over a five month period, I ended up going from about 295, 292, 295, depending on which day it was. And I got down as low as 202 after a hot yoga class. And that was right before my retirement press conference, which happened in February. And I remember being in in the locker room on the scale after the yoga class, I probably dropped like five pounds in the yoga class or whatever, just sweating everywhere. And I remember looking in the mirror and I was super lean and the scale said 202. And I thought, wow, three more pounds and I'm going to be 199. And then I'm shutting it down because I was competitive. And that was the only right. thing that I could compete with was that daggone number on the scale. And by God, I was going to win. And I remember turning to the side and looking at my profile and thought, Oh my goodness, you don't exist. Like I was, I was vacant. It was like a void. I mean, I'm telling you, I look like a, a coat rack, you know, with just like a, a little head and like a no body and some legs. And I, I just thought, man, if you go out into the world and like, say there's some sort of mayhem going on, some grandma's just going to whoop you up with a purse, you know, and like you can't go out looking like this. Right. And, you know, I can't defend myself. I can't defend my family. So I immediately went home, started eating more uh, sizable portions. I started resistance training again nice. and slowly, very slowly, I wanted to put it back on the right way. I ended up getting back up to about 225 to 230. And that's my normal resting weight. That's actually the weight, the exact weight that I walked onto the Purdue football team at. So that's kind of my natural body's homeostasis. And so that was kind of the deal. And then over the last, I mean, it's, I've been out seven years now over the last five or five, the five previous years, everyone just kept basically asking like, how'd you lose the weight? How'd you lose the weight? Let's talk about the weight losses. And I put together a, a very specific plan for myself that I just kind of came up with, with the knowledge that I had acquired over the years. And when COVID hit and we had just moved back to Indiana, right? it hit 
we're locked down. I'm in the house. I've got nothing to do. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to turn this into a Google doc and anybody who asks, I'm just going to share the link with them. Like, nice. so, Hey, on, on my DMS, if you ask how I lost the weight coming to your inbox is a Google doc. It was a absolute, I mean, it wasn't well, well coordinated, but it was like 150 pages of here you go do this. The first guy that ever asked his name was John Zenser. And I sent it to him and I, I don't even know what I called it at the time, but I sent him the program and I said, Hey, if you don't mind, just stay in touch with me and let yeah. me know how you're doing. And let me know if I can answer any questions or whatever. And I said, just keep track of your weight and do some before and after pictures, whatever. And John kept me updated like clockwork. I mean, he had an Excel spreadsheet going on. He just sent me like lengthy emails telling me exactly what he was doing and how it was working. And in the first month, I think he lost 32 pounds or 30 pounds or something like that. That's awesome. I thought, whoa, this is really working for this guy. And so then I asked for five more volunteers said, Hey, do you want to get in the program? Do you want to try this out? Let me know how it works. And then we'll do a Sunday weekly check-in to hold each other accountable and just let me get some real-time feedback on how this thing's working for you. And so five guys got in, they were all losing weight. And I thought, all right, cool. Well, then I, I was like, well, you should turn it into an ebook. So you don't, so it's a little easier for people to digest. And so I was working on turning it into an ebook. I had it on an app at the time that guys were kind of using and we were able to communicate or whatever. So I turned it into an ebook, make it accessible for everybody. You didn't have to download an app or anything and got it launched right around Christmas time. I think it was 2020 gosh, or 20 gosh, 19. I'm losing track of the years. This so is great. <laughs> COVID's crazy. Like I, just lose track. I think it was 2019. And then I, I happened to be on a really big podcast the Brian Buffini show. And I think they put me on the week after they had Matthew McConaughey on. So it really worked that's, out yeah. for me that yeah, there was, that's a, awesome. there was a ton of people listening and they, he's a big program guy. He does real estate programs and takes people through courses. So all the people who come to Brian are course people. And so they wanted a course on how to lose weight. And this is basically what this is. And so a bunch of them poured in and then it just kind of like, kept going and going. And it's been amazing for me. It's been a great process and I'm super hands-on. Like I like to meet all these people. So I still do weekly zoom check-ins. If you buy the program, you're in. And so for me, it's like, just show up. Let me answer your questions. I just want to help. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't need your money. At first we made it, it was a hundred bucks because I was like, all right, well, I put a lot of lot of time and right. effort into this thing, get the website up and running. It was a hundred bucks. And then eventually I'm like, I don't need your money. I just want you to get healthy. Like what's it going to take? Yeah. You know, just here, here's and but I do believe you have to pay something, right? Yeah. You have to have a little bit of skin in the game. Absolutely. It's got to hurt. It's got to, there's got to be a little bit of a pain point there. And so I charge 25 bucks right now. I just get the program and let's, let's see if we can get some of that weight off and you know, uh, the tagline to the company Hardwick is reclaim your health, reclaim your life. And that's okay. how I felt when I got healthy. That's what I did. I was able to reclaim some of the life that I may have been, uh, I may have discarded through my previous life, my that's, previous career. Oh, I love that. That's so perfect. I love that tagline. Um, I, I do want to go back and ask a, a bit about it. Cause you, you talked about competing with yourself. And I, I think 
that is kind of the mentality and the mindset that I, I've started to take over the last few years. And because I'm, I'm never going to be a professional athlete and, you know, maybe at one point I wanted to be a professional baseball player, but that kind of, you know, left a, a long time ago. And so, you know, when I try to get better, I try to compete with myself, but you as a former, you know, professional athlete, you were competing, not just against yourself, not just against, you know, your teammates to, I don't know, lift the most, but you were competing against, you know, world star or, you know, world, like the, the best athletes in the world. So yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what it's been like for you to, in regard to that mindset, in regard to competing with yourself, or did you get caught up in, you know, trying to be the best NFL player, the best you know person on your team? I'm just from, from your standpoint, I'm just curious what that has looked like. Yeah. I think there's been a, an evolution and what I've realized through competition has evolved over the years. And it's been kind of cool. I have to, I guess, uh, temper my expectations of where I've come to and where maybe other like youth football coaches or youth coaches are and where my own children are in their competitive journey. So they're 10 and eight. Right. And so I have to remember at one point I was 10 and eight and I had a healthy ego and I wanted to dominate the world and I wanted to conquer athletically. And, you know, it's like, those are some of the things that you just want to check on, you check those boxes. And so, I'm very fortunate that I was a, I was in every youth sport. I was in baseball. I was in basketball. I dabbled in wrestling. I did football. I was soccer when I was little, I did hockey. I mean, so all these things that I did, I was, I had a ton of energy. I would imagine if my parents ever would have taken me to the doctor, I would have got diagnosed with ADHD or ADD or one of those, because I was just so high strung and so high energy. I actually see a lot of that in my eight-year-old boy who stands there and he's coursing with energy and he's just pulsating. And when he talks to you, he's like bouncing and fidgeting and it's like, oh my gosh, settle down. And then I'm like, say, don't tell him to settle down. He can't like, it's good. Get your energy out, do what you got to do. Jump around. I don't care. Just stop on occasion to look me in the eyes and acknowledge that you know what I'm talking about. But I got really fortunate in high school that I was, I was very undersized. So my freshman year, I did play football, but I was five, 425 pounds. Yeah. And I didn't play. I like the coaches didn't put me in. I wouldn't put me in either. I probably would have thought that this kid's going to get, he's going to break to pieces. So I shifted towards wrestling, which was weight class dependent, size dependent. You know, you didn't have to compete against guys that you weren't the same size. So, and I was also very fortunate that we had a hall of fame high school wrestling coach and a hall of fame program at the high school that I went to Lawrence North high school, shout out wildcats. And, uh, Roy Steckard was the guy's name. And he really took us under his wing and showed us what we could become if we yeah. committed and we were disciplined and we were dirt determined and dedicated and did all the things that he said that we had to do. If we did those, we were going to find a ton of success. And I did, I ended up being, uh, getting second in the state of Indiana at 171 pounds, my senior year. It was, uh, from starting wrestling as an eighth grader to becoming second in the state in five years is a pretty good accomplishment. Wrestlers are notably, they start really young and, they've been in it for a long time. So it was, I ramped up really quickly, but that individual sport mentality, right. Where there's nobody to blame. It's only you. And if you get beat, it's because your techniques weren't honed in enough. You weren't in great enough shape. You weren't strong enough, or you didn't show up with the right mindset for that match and you weren't prepared. And so there was nobody to blame. So that really forged who I became as a football player, where 
everything was about what I could control. And that was the only way that I knew really to enter into that world was what can I control? What my work ethic, the technique that I have, the preparation coming into the match or coming into the game, the opponent that I was going to play. So more than anything, it was about me than it was about them. And yes, I want to impose this football as a game of really imposing wills. You know, I, I'm, and I guess a lot of sports is, and there's different ways to do that. Like in tennis, you can impose your will and you can get a guy to shut down. It's a kind of a roundabout way. It's a more gentlemanly way than say like wrestling or fighting is mainline, break your will, break your face, break your arm, whatever it is. Right. Every sport has their way really of imposing your will on your opponent. But I guess what I ultimately came to with football is they're just the conduit, the opponent, the the one individual player, the two guys that I'm playing and the team that we're lined up against. That's just the conduit to get the best out of me. Yeah. And the better the competition is, the higher that I can ascend up this ladder and play in championship games, or we, we only played in one AFC championship game, didn't get a play in the Super Bowl. but the higher we got up, the more you had to be able to manage your emotions, the more you had to manage your expectations, the harder you have had to work in the preseason and in the off season, all of this is kind of an accumulative effect really of, Hey, when I show up at the Super Bowl, I may or may not be ready for this, but by God, I realize I have to do this work. Yes. And it may not be my time. The ball may not bounce your way. The clock may run out. The officials may make poor calls and it may just not work out for you in this universe, but this is about the work that I'm doing and the journey that I'm on. And that's really how I've looked at it ever since in, in high school started it. But even looking back, it's like, that was a really cool journey for me. And yeah. thankfully I had teammates to go on it with and share the experiences with and the failures and the successes and all those really cool things. But it was more about, you know, me competing with myself and from where I started to where I finished. Yeah. Oh man. I, I love that. Um, I'm, I'm curious. To, well, to me, that's a very stoic mindset. And I'm curious if stoicism plays any part in your life or intentionally, or if this is just the mindset that you developed on your own. I think, yes, because I, I have read some of these stoic books yeah. and read the philosophies and it's when when I think about them, yes, that's how I live my life. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it was given to me through wrestling, honestly, yeah. is through, a, and a lot of it is really delayed gratification. Right. Right. It's like, let me suffer a little bit now and I'll have a lot of pleasure later. And it's, yeah. a, I, I like to call myself a pleasure procrastinator. It's like, I'm going to enjoy this, but not right now. Right. You know, it's like, I'm going to celebrate this a little bit, but then, I'll really celebrate on the back end. And I find that, you know, the, the greater and the longer that you can delay that gratification or that satisfaction and just keep your head down and continue to work and just go about your business overall, when that's kind of the mindset, then you just kind of walk around in a state of happiness because you've, you've just got such a great work capacity and the mindset really is about the process. And it's not about getting to any certain place because just the same that we talked about, like the, 
the cars or the houses or the whatever that's going to give you temporary satisfaction, you know, achieving a certain thing is really material as well. Right. You know, like right. I had a coach once who said, really smart guy, he won a Super Bowl with the Rams. I think it was in 2000, 2001, maybe 99. John Ramsdale, quarterbacks coach, and he go, he sat us down once and he's like, guys, if you are going to justify whether you had a great career or not based on whether you win the Super Bowl, he goes, you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of being unsatisfied yeah. and, and regret. He's like, it's not about the Super Bowl. It's about today. It's about this season. It's about this game. He's like, don't worry about the Super Bowl. If it happens, it's meant to happen. But if not, and really, when you think about it, what is you win a Super Bowl? It's almost, yeah, it's an amazing achievement or anytime you, something like that comes into your life, like whatever your own particular right. Super Bowl is, I win. Okay, now what? Does it make me a better person because I won a Super Bowl? Does it right. allow me into some, some place in the afterlife that I was not allowed before? I mean, you may get a couple more job opportunities or, you know, outside people may think of you a different way, but it's not going to bring me any more long-term joy or right. happiness. It's, it's not, it's just a fleeting moment of success. And then guess what? I got to get back to work so I can continue to have more success. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, when you, when you talk about uh, delay, procrastinating the pleasure uh, or the happiness, I, I, I like that a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm a runner. I, I, I love running distance. And so, you know, I can go out and run a half marathon tomorrow, or I can wait three months when I've actually done a lot of training. And it's amazing to me, the more training I do, this shouldn't come as much of a surprise. The more training I do, the easier it is. And when you're out there competing and you're running a seven minute mile and you feel fantastic versus going out unprepared, running an eight minute mile and feeling like you're going to die. Just the, the difference is night and day. And so delaying that gratification, delaying that accomplishment. So you can be in a place where you feel comfortable doing it. So where you can feel like you you've accomplished something. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. It just, it feels so much better when you know that you you've put in the work to get there and confident. Right? Yes. So when, yeah, it's when you have done the work, you're just confident going in. Yes. It doesn't mean you're not going to be anxious. It doesn't mean there's not going to be any stress associated with it, but you, the work allows you to have confidence yeah. that I, I should, I do belong here Yeah. without the work. You may not belong there. Right. And you may fall on your face and you may fall on your face anyway, or you may right. get embarrassed on national television. <laughs> I did that plenty of times, but if you did the work yeah. and you've, and you know that you've done the right thing, that when you do fail, you say you can legitimately tell yourself, I did all that I could. Yes. I, I've done all that I could for that up till that point. Yeah. Now, where do I go? And I think that's an important thing is like, I did all that I could. I still failed. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Now, where do I, now, where do I go from here? And how do I, I guess, how do I grow from here? Yes. Yes. Taking failure as an opportunity to learn and grow as opposed to taking it as a setback and thinking that you're not worth anything or you're not worth, you know, being on the field. It's just that again, going back to mindset, it's just, it's using that opportunity to propel yourself forward as opposed to hold yourself back. 
did you, before you think you had a fixed mindset? I do. Yes, I, I absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What's your birth order in your family? I'm, I, <laughs> maybe oh, this, this is funny. Absolutely. I'm oldest. I'm the oldest. Uh, four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, 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 I'm super into birth order. I ask everybody and people probably think I'm weird. It's like, I'm not a numerologist or anything like that, but I'm super into birth order because I think so much of personality traits, yeah. a lot of things come yeah. out based on your birth order. Yeah. And my oldest son is a, he's got a, a little bit of a fixed mindset and we're working on it so hard. My older brother, uh, I have an older sister who's 18 years older than us. And then my brother's 15 months older than me. And it took him a long time really to get into that growth mindset. But I think that's an older child thing because you're treated a certain way. And then right. the younger ones just, Hey, I'm losing all the time anyway. Like I, you know, as a younger brother, I lost all the time. He kicked yeah. my ass for 17 years. And so it wasn't like losing wasn't a big deal for me, but I right. can see in my oldest child, losing is a big deal for him. It yeah. really affects him down to his soul. Like it, it's his ego that kind of gets inflamed. And I, I remember now that you're talking about this, I think to my back to my little league days and, you know, when baseball was life. And I, I remember I, I, I try not to say this with an inflated ego, but it's not going to sound like that. I, I was the best player on the team, but we weren't the best team in the league. So I remember going uh, playing in the tournament against the best team in the league and losing and, you know, getting knocked out. And I remember crying, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it, you know, up until fourth or fifth grade that hurt real bad. Yeah. I hated doing it. And I, I knew we were better. I knew we could do better. And just, it did not feel good to me. So I, I get it. How would, how do you handle losing now? So it's a great question. I haven't been asked it's still, that. I'm sure it still yeah, hurts, right? It does. It still yeah, hurts. But I think losing has a different meaning now because, you know, whether or not it's, I guess, you know, in regard to losing a client, you know, you think about what can I do better? You know, why, why did I lose this client? And as opposed to feeling like feeling offended or personally attacked, I need to understand why they left me or, you know, why I came in, you know, 500 out of 700 in a, in a 5k. I don't know because I wasn't doing all that I could to prepare for the race or, you know, the, my client left me because they found a better option. It's just, it's, very rarely should it be taken personally. At least I'm speaking for myself here because very rarely is it, is it personal. Running such an interesting thing to me because it's, it's one of those things where at an early age, you figure out who's really good. Yes. And, and because so much of so much of running is really talent, right? Yeah. It's like, yes. what, what body were you given? And it doesn't mean that you don't like running or that you're not going to be fairly proficient at it, but you can really separate out yeah. the, the talented ones from the lesser talented ones pretty quickly. Yeah. But I think that's a, a to me, that's a really healthy lesson yeah. that cross country kids or endurance athlete kids yeah. learn early is that, Hey, sometimes there ain't much I can do about this, but it right. doesn't mean that I should stop trying to be my best. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that brings up, a, 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 I'm trying to remember the book. It's um, Malcolm Gladwell. I, I can't remember which book, but he talked about the benefit of being born, I think in January and making it to the NHL. I, I might be getting the year oh, for wrong. Hockey players, yeah, 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 absolutely. Like and, outliers. Yeah. Outliers. That's, that was the book. Yeah. It was just interesting to me because there's absolutely nothing you can do about that. There's just, because when you were born, you have a much higher chance because you are generally the older one within the leagues. And I mean, yeah, you so do you're bigger, you you're faster, yeah. you're stronger already. Yeah. 
And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're out there more. The coach gives you more playing time, yeah. which means you get better faster than everybody else. So it's this self-perpetuating yeah. cycle, really. Absolutely. I mean, you know, going back to the stoic point, all you can do is control your, you know, how you respond to situations and, you know, making sure that you're as well prepared as you possibly can be. And it's, I think about this all the time too, because of course I wanted to win a Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. there's no doubt about it. I wanted to win a Super Bowl. I wanted to be a hall of famer. It didn't happen. It just yeah. wasn't in the cards for me. But I also think like an important note for people, if, if they could, adopt the mindset of it's not where I am compared to everybody else. It's where I am based on where I started Yes, because everybody has a different entry point into life and whatever field they're getting into. And that Delta, that difference of change that you made from where you started to where you ultimately finished or where you are currently, that's probably more important than where you ultimately ended up because there's a lot of other factors that are out of your control based on where you're going to end up. I mean, luck is a huge part of my story. Yeah. I mean, if, if guys didn't get injured at the right time, if I had a, the guy at, in San Diego, he was a free agent. He was a really good center the year that they drafted me, he announced before the draft that he was going to hold out for a bigger contract. And so it, signal to the team that, Hey, we should probably draft a guy. Cause this right. guy may be a problem for the next several years. Yeah. And so they drafted me because of that. And he didn't show up. Well, guess what? I, by default, I had a position. And so I had a starting position and so many things in my life happened that way that were just kind of, it's hard to say it any other way, but it was divine providence. It's yeah. just meant, it's just meant to be. So some of it is, you know, we're talking about like, earlier, just being happy with what you have and being content with what you have. I think part of like a a huge self-growth point for me is accepting who you are and where you are. Yeah. But not getting complacent to the point where I can't now work. It's like, it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop competing or I'm going to stop trying, but I am going to accept completely where I'm at right now. And when I accept completely where I am now, I can make improvements and continue to move forward and hopefully catch people that are ahead of me. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm curious for you in your career, how much of your success would you say, how much you think you seeing an opportunity and actually going after that opportunity contributed to your success as opposed to, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know we mentioned luck. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious how often did you see an opportunity and just go for it? I don't, I'm not asking that as, as much. <laughs> no, as I know. As I, want I know. To. It, yeah. I know. I, I know exactly what you're getting at. Uh, I didn't, there's been zero plan or design in my life. Okay. So okay. I just, I, uh, I really, what was the, the first Malcolm Gladwell book was blink. Yeah. And, and it talked about trusting your gut instinct yes. and that's yeah. me to the T that is, I trust my gut instinct to the T and I had a, a friend in the ROTC program at Purdue. I was a Marine Corps ROTC scholarship kid for, I ended up being on scholarship for three years, but I was on scholarship for three semesters before we decided to walk onto the football team. And my buddy, Frank Avino came to me and he's like, Hey, uh, Purdue walk-on tryouts is doing the classified ad of the Purdue exponent, the, the student newspaper. And he's just like, Hey, you want to walk onto this football team? And I looked at him and I was like, sure. Why not? 
You know, why not? What, what else do I, what do I have to lose? I mean, worst case scenario is I take three months off from physical training with the Marines, which was yeah. running like five to eight miles every morning at 6am. And I'm going to go train with two of my best buddies and yeah. we're going to do our own training to get ready for the combine that Purdue is going to do for the walk-on tryouts. Worst case scenario, I lose three months of running five to eight miles a day, which I was a terrible runner anyway. So I wasn't losing anything. So for me, it's like, sure, dude, I'll entertain you, you know? And then all of a sudden I show up and it just, I don't know what they saw in me. So I was wearing my Marine Corps PT gear. I had a high and tight. I mean, I look like, I mean, obviously this guy's willing to go serve his country. He'll probably be willing to get his ass kicked on a daily basis. So let's give him a try. He'll give everything he has. And then just every day I just gave my best effort, but I had no expectations. I didn't ever, you know, when I got there, I was like, well, maybe, maybe I'll be able to be on the punt team or maybe I'll be the wedge guy and they can just run into me and use me as a body to block or, you know, it's like, and then all of a sudden I'm a defensive tackle and then I'm learning everything. And then I've kind of figured things out and I was getting some playing time and then they moved me to guard. And I was like, well, I can't, I don't know the position. I don't know anything. I'm like, no, you'll figure it out. And they're right. I just did because I just said, sure. Hey, you want to move to guard? Sure. I guess, you know, it's like everything about my life has been like, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll try it. And not, I'm just, I guess, naive, you know, to the, to the point that, I don't know what it's going to take to be successful and I don't really care. Yeah. I'm just going to show up like, like a, like a redneck's last uh, words, like, Hey, y'all watch this. Like, that's me, you know, I like show yeah. up and I'm like, Hey, y'all watch this. And here we go. And so I think there's been a lot of luck involved in it, but I also, a lot of, I just listen. I yeah. just, um, uh, is it, I'm maybe an opportunist, but I don't like to think that I've planned anything. I didn't even read the student newspaper. If my buddy didn't come ask me, then I wouldn't have tried out. I wouldn't even have known you could try out. Like, I didn't even know I was supposed to take the SATs going to college. I had some friends who were like, Hey, what'd you get your, what was your SAT score? And I was like, what, what, what's that? (laughs) Like, Nick, you got to take the sign up. It's in two weeks. It's the last one or you can't go to college with us. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for informing me. You know, so there's, so many things along the way that it's like, I didn't have a great plan, but I did go hard once I yes. got in there. Yeah. I just, I just gave my best effort. Yeah. Oh man. I, I so relate to that. And I think that goes back to our conversation about growth mindset, because if you, you can call it luck, call it opportunity, calling, call it, call it an opportunist, call it whatever you want. But if you don't have, if you have a fixed mindset, then you're not going to see an opportunity there. You're not going to see a chance for you to Maybe you're not seeing it as a chance to improve your life, or maybe you're just seeing it as a chance to do something different or unique. But if you have this, you know, mindset of, hey, you know, who knows what could happen, and you just go for it, I think that, uh, I think that it really opens the doors for a lot of cool opportunities for you. I heard, I forget which podcast I was listening to recently, and they were talking about people with tattoos, like a lot of tattoos. Like I yeah. have a lot of, I have a lot of tattoos, and 
it's a creative type that kind of has a lot of tattoos, but it's also somebody with like a very fluid identity. Yeah. Like I don't, yeah. I don't have a, I don't have a fixed identity of myself. I could be anything. Right. I could like wake up tomorrow and decide that I want to do something else. And it's kind of a blessing and a curse because I'm not fixed into, it's like, I was in a really rigid system, a Marine Corps ROTC. It's like, I'm a Marine by God. And then somebody's right. like, you want to play football? And I'm like, well, that sounds fun. Let's do it. You know, it's like so many things like that, where it's like, I, I got done playing football and I immediately got into broadcasting. So I had my own sports talk radio show, uh, five days a week for five years. I was the field reporter for the chargers for the first year that I got done. And then I became the color analyst for two years. And then I just kind of lost interest. Like they yeah. moved to Los Angeles and it wasn't emotional for me. And I kind of lost my passion in the team. And I was like, well, I'm not passionate about it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know, but it's, if you look at it from the outside, it's like, that guy's an idiot. Like he just does whatever he wants to do. It's like one, I thankfully we saved our money enough to be able to make those kind of decisions. Right. It's like, I'm going to choose my time with my family and what I value. And yes. I'm going to align those two more importantly than chasing a career that's highly, highly coveted. There's only 32 right. of those jobs in the world, highly coveted by people other than me. And right. I decided to let that go. And then I had a really successful radio show. We were like top 20. Uh, I think we were major market or big market uh, AM sports talk radio show. And I was like, I'm not really having much fun doing this anymore. But what I do like is when we get to talk to people right. and ask them questions. Right. And I was like, but I want to talk about mindset. I want to talk about health and wellness. I want to talk about the body and the brain. I want to talk about all these cool things not sports. Like right. I'm, I'm kind of done talking sports, like same, same sport, different teams, you know, day after day after day. It's like, it's still fun on occasion, but it's like having that ability of being very fluid with an identity and being like, this is the direction I want to go. I think that's allowed me a lot of success. It's probably, if you would look at it from a different perspective, it's probably hindered a decent amount of success and growth. But if I don't have passion in my life. I don't know about you, but if yes. I don't have, if I'm not passionate, it's like my gas tank's on empty. And, I'm with and you. I can't go on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, for the longest time, I mean, when I, when I was working for other people and there's, there was no passion in, in my world. Like I, I didn't care how much money I, I made or how little I made and being able to escape from that and actually design the life that I want. Again, it's not, I'm not driven by money. I'm just, I'm driven by the freedom to, you know, make those choices like you made, you know, move across the country, you know, pursue something that other people may see as kind of silly, but as long as it brings contentment and value to my life, that's, that is what's most important for me because then going back, I have to want what I have. And when I do, that is, that is the ultimate joy for me. I got asked this the other day. I have a buddy who's thinking about starting a podcast yeah. and he sent me a whole litany of questions, <laughs> but I, I guess the one, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you get into it. But Absolutely. for me, it's like, what do you personally get out of your podcast? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I will tell you, I'm never going to chart with Joe Rogan, you know, and that's, I think that's what a lot of people get into podcasting for, like you, you know, to, to be on a top 10 list on Apple podcast. And that's, 
it'd be great if that were the case. It'd be great if I could, you know, supplement, supplement my income with the podcast. That's just, that's not happening. And I, I doubt it ever will because it's such a crowded space. I get so much value out of having, having conversations with people like you who are living their absolute best lives. One, I get to share it. And two, I get to become a better conversationalist. And three, most importantly to me is that I get to learn what you've done in your life. And I get to say, hey, that might work in my life. Let's give it a shot. And I just get to continue to build new and interesting habits and different aspects to, of my lifestyle each and every day because of this. And that, that is where the gold is for me. I've thought about quitting a million times. I'm 132 episodes in and, you know, do I want to do it forever? Probably not. But each and every time I get to have a conversation like this and I get to go, holy crap, Nick was such an amazing guy. I had so much fun talking with him. I wonder what I can do similar to what he's doing. It just, it reinvigorates me. And so that, that is why I continue to do it. And then what do you hope you give your listeners? The same feeling that I have, or, you know, maybe I'm, you know, reaching somebody who is where I was five years ago and they're in a career that they absolutely hate and their managers treat them like garbage. And they have this fixed mindset and think that nothing is ever going to change for them. And when I get to portray, portray the message that if you make one small change and that has, you know, uh, a much larger impact in your life. And they get to experience that because of something they heard on the podcast. That is the ultimate joy for me. I've had people, you know, I'm very open with my, the fact that I quit drinking. I've had people ask me how, you know, what's the secret of drinking less? Well, it's not exactly a secret, but I, it's, it's interesting that I am reaching people who are starting to realize that alcohol is not adding value to their lives. And so knowing that the message, and I, mean, I don't even want to Get, take credit for myself. You know, these are the conversations I get to have with other people who are doing these incredible things. Just the fact that other people are getting value from that and are expressing that to me, that, that, that's, that's what it is for me. That, that is, that's the end all be all. And that the coolest thing. And I, and I know it's like all podcasters like, man, it'd be, uh, you know, if you're Joe Rogan, it would be a different place, but right. Also, there'd be a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny. <laughs> yes. And oh, absolutely. I, I, I don't think it would be near as enjoyable. As I agree. Kind of as free as it is now. Yeah. It's you. I, I can only imagine that as you're going through that process in your hymn, that it would be, uh, you'd have to be very careful with your words. I agree. Like everything, everything that you say, you know, is going to be yeah. picked apart. It's going to be chopped up. It's going to be edited. It's going to be taken out of context. So I th have to imagine it'd be very difficult. But I think the powerful thing that you said in there that I heard was, there's somebody that was like you three years ago. Yes. Right. And so that's, it's the beautiful thing about shows of all different types and wherever you are in your life is somebody can relate to you yeah. and some, and somebody can say, I can see myself becoming that, or I can see myself and look at the happiness and the joy that he has found in his life by valuing what he has, right? And, and taking these little tiny incremental improvements that have really fundamentally changed who he is over the course of two or three years. So, yes. in, and, and that's not too far off, right? Like for right. people to think, uh, look what I can do in two or three years yeah. to myself, you know, yeah. and I, there's so much power in that. And there's a lot of power too, in not being a pro athlete right. and not being a world famous comedian. And like, there's a lot of power to being a human, you know, it's like one of the things that I fight is 
people go, well, it's easy for you because you're a pro athlete. And I'm like, I don't even know what the hell that means. Like what, <laughs> like what's, what's right. What's easy for me because I was a pro athlete. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure this out here. It's like, well, you know, discipline's easy for you because you're a pro athlete, or you've got a lot of willpower because you're a pro athlete. And, and in my head, I'm like, no, I was a pro athlete because I learned discipline and because right. I learned willpower. And I, I was thankful to have a dad who gave me discipline yes. before I could discipline myself. And I was thankful to learn willpower through, I think, wrestling and being able yeah. to carry that over and take that into my life. So I think there's a lot of power in you saying, Hey, this was not serving me. Yeah. And I moved on from that and I'm better because of it. Absolutely. 100%. And you know, as I mentioned, you know, Tim Ferriss was one of the first podcasts I, I really got into and I, I loved his message, but I, you know, he was talking to all these, you know, billionaire hedge fund founders and <laughs> yeah. people who have this massive amount of success over the past, you know, 20 or 30 years. I want to talk with people who maybe haven't found that success yet or are working toward it or, you know, authors who just spent the better part of a year of their life doing nothing but writing. And I want to talk about the, the process that people use to get there. And I especially want to talk about the failures because the, I think there's, there's still, it's still a dirty word to a lot of people and it, it shouldn't be because if we have the mindset that this is an opportunity for me to learn and to do it better and different next time, then it's just, you know, whatever uh, Edison's quote was on the light bulb, I found a million ways to not make it. And I just need the one way to actually make it work. That is what's important to me. So when you're talking about Tim Ferriss and the billionaires, I couldn't help but think there's a, I think the book is called a fighter's heart. It's maybe by Sam Sheridan. Uh, and he was a guy kind of like Tim Ferriss who like could, he dabbled in everything. And yeah. he just like, he went around the world and he learned how to fight. And I think it was a fighter's heart or there was, there was two different books that he did. They were super intriguing books. And I remember the one big takeaway that I had from the whole deal that I used in my life at the time, because I read him while I was playing in the NFL is you need really three sparring partners. You need somebody who's the same level as you. You need yeah. somebody who, you know, we're equals and sometimes you win, sometimes I win. And then you need somebody who's slightly better than you are. Yeah. And it's going to teach you the lessons. It's going to show you, you know, what you have to, to know, and you're going to up your game to be able to compete with them. And then you need somebody as a sparring partner who is slightly less skilled than you are, who is newer into right. the game than you are. And you teach them yes. the same way that you're being taught those lessons. And so there's those three different where one, I'm, I'm, we're just button heads and we're really getting after it. You win some, I win some one that I'm losing the majority of the time, but I'm learning what doesn't work yeah. and I'm seeing what you're doing that does work. And then I'm taking all of those lessons from those two. And then I'm passing those down to somebody who's getting into the game for the first time. So I, to me, that's just, I get caught up too. I mean, there's guys that the guys that I look up to in the health and wellness space, they're 50 years old, they're 60 years old, and they're just, they're real big figures in the space. And I look at them and I think, man, how do you get to be that? And I guess the answer is you just keep going Yes, and, and eventually you'll get there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, I, I love, I, I love the example in that book and I had not read that book, but I mean, it makes perfect sense. I, um, 
I'm learning has an odd uh, anecdote. I'm learning about crypto right now. And it helps me obviously to learn from people who know what the hell they're talking about, but it also helps me to try to explain concepts to people who have no idea what they're talking about, because it, it helps me question what I think I know. And it helps me solidify what I already know. And it's just, it's very, very powerful to be able to pass that down to somebody and just really solidify the things that you're learning. And kind of the, the, uh, the teaching and learning process. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're learning about crypto over here, but how can I teach somebody else something even different just based on, you know, this is a foreign language. I'm learning a foreign language. All right, cool. How are you teaching me this? All right. Maybe I could take that and work that into another realm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Crypto is something that I have no idea what's happening in that world. I I, I know very little, so I'm, I'm getting there. I'll, I'll I'll teach you. I'll teach you. You know what? I had a uh, awesome guest on recently. His name was Nick Hawks and his wife, Lee, they were on, they've, it's funny. He's a, he was a former Navy SEAL never talks about it. We didn't even talk about it on the show. I didn't bring it up. I didn't put it in the bio, not in the intro, none of that stuff. Like I know he doesn't want to talk about it because he's completely shifted out of that world, but he's like in the, the, I don't even know what you call those things. The, uh, it's what crypto runs on the blockchain. The blockchain, yeah. Like yeah. he does a lot of things in the blockchain. Like he's building certain games and experiences in the blockchain. He's working in like the helium. I don't. Do you know what the helium? Uh, I've heard of it. I, I I could not begin to tell you what it is. So, yeah. So yeah. when he started talking about that, I was like, I had never heard anybody talk about blockchain or crypto the way that he did, and I was like, oh my gosh, this. I felt like I entered the matrix. Yeah. On, on that episode, it was. It was super fun. That's Who's, cool. uh, let's assume all your guests aren't going to listen to this episode. Who's who have you learned the most from? Oh, that is a loaded question. Um, yeah, 100, 100 and what, 31, 132. 32. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm well, gonna one have one thing. Let's not say who have you learned the most from recently. What comes to mind? Sure. From who, who comes to top of your mind? There are, there are two people that come to top of mind and they're within the past few weeks. The first one, uh, they're in your space. There's a, there's a gentleman named Sean Richardson. He developed the BAMF hammer, uh, B-A-M-F hammer. It's just, it's a, it's a big uh, 40 pound, uh, ballistics rubber hammer that you slam on the ground, do all sorts of exercises with. So, you know, me personally in my health and wellness journey, I have always had a runner's body, but I'm trying to get a little bit bigger. And so I thought that'd be a cool way to really get outside and start experiencing that. So Hearing about his entrepreneurial journey was really cool and how he developed it. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, Just this morning, I released an episode with Heath Armstrong. He's a guy who has lived a nomadic digital lifestyle for the past, I don't know, 10 years. And he's had all of these experiences with shamanism and, you know, plant-based medicine and just talking about, and he's, he's, it's not like he's out there. He's, he's very, he's very present. He's somebody that I could just have a conversation with at a coffee shop. And it was just so cool hearing about the things that he's been able to do across the entire world and how he's been able to thrive based on his e-commerce business. And it's been, it was just, it was a fascinating, super interesting conversation that I I will go back to time and time again. Isn't it fun when you have your own episodes that you go back and you listen yes, to? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I love you go it. Back and, you go back and you listen to, I find myself, it's funny on plane rides at times I go back and I'm like, you know what? I really miss hearing, uh, like I want to relearn what that person talked about. And so I go back and I listen and then all of a sudden it's like, I'm taking notes and I'm transcribing it. And it's like, 
you know, they're, they have services for that, Nick, but for yeah. me, like, right for me, writing it down is really profound. Yeah. But then also I, part of why I love doing this is that you're really learning from people that are thought leaders that are experts that, yeah. you know, can maybe shape the way you think about things moving forward. And so it's like, you can find somebody out in the universe and you can go, Hey, would you mind coming on my show? Because you said something on one Instagram post or five Instagram posts, or I've been following you for a year or whatever it is. And you can go, Hey, will you come on my show? And will you expand on this a little bit? Yeah. When they do it, just, it, it really is. I mean, it's a complete learning experience. It feels like you're just mainlining information. It does. It absolutely does. What has, what has been your biggest takeaway from your conversations? Or I guess what's something that you've taken away and been able to implement into your own life that you've gotten from a guest? Gosh, I, honestly, so much because most of the people that I try to have on, like I've, I follow them for a while. Yeah. And I either use their products or I've like bought their program or, you know, the, like I read their books and I've, like the, the last one that I had on the last um, author that I had on, she's an international bestseller. Uh, she's a Stanford lecturer. She's amazing a, a psychologist and her name's Kelly McGonigal. She's a PhD and I use her books actually to help my weight loss clients. That's awesome. So it's, it's about willpower. It's about the upside of stress, about the joy of movement, like asking questions of how do we build more willpower? The thoughts that we had about willpower, what are they, you know, are they the, you either have it or you don't No, It turns out that willpower is a muscle. It turns out that stress isn't bad. Yeah. Too much stress is bad. Right too little stress is bad. And then how do we get more people to just fall in love with movement? You know, that's kind of, I guess at the end of the day, that to me is what it's all about. It's like finding practical ways to give information to people that they can apply to their life, like starting right now. And it doesn't require some 12 week course or anything like that. It's like they hear some information, they can apply it today and they can start improving like now. Yeah. I love it. Yes, I, absolutely. That's that, that, that in itself is, I mean, it, it's, like I said, the reason why I, I, I get to do these things, why I love doing these things. It's, it's so powerful to just talk with people who are doing things a little bit different than you've come to grow to expect. Trey, I've enjoyed this, man. Me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. This was awesome. I, I love talking with you. I love getting to know you. Hey, tell my people how they can follow you. Absolutely. Uh, you can find the Mosaic Life Podcast just by going to the mosaiclifepodcast.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Trey Kaufman. Um, those are the two best ways. Super easy. Awesome, buddy. Hey, cool. thank you, Trey. Real Absolutely. pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Once again, please join me in thanking Nick for creating this space with me, opening up his podcast to do a crossover, and for having such a wonderful conversation around mindset and health. If you'd like to learn more about Nick and his podcast, The Hardwick Life, click the link in the show notes that will take you to Nick's page on the Mosaic Life podcast website, where, of course, you can find all of the best ways to reach out, to contact, and to listen to Nick talk about what he's passionate about, health and wellness. I, of course, want to thank all of you who found your way here from Nick's podcast, from his Instagram page. It means the world to me. It is my goal to have conversations to help people live their very best lives. And this, of course, was a great example of that. If you enjoyed this conversation, I would be incredibly grateful if you would leave a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
And if you'd like to learn more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at Trey Kaufman. Again, thank all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. The Mosaic Life podcast releases new episodes every Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.